Welcome to this lesson where we are going to talk about how to understand the Bible. It cannot be overestimated how important the Bible is. This, this collection of 66 books and how they speak about God and how they reveal Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked about in this course uh, already that God is revealed in nature, and, and I suppose we could know that by our imagination, but the Scriptures tell us that God is known in nature. Then we talked about how God is known through the person of Jesus, but what is our primary source of information about Jesus? It's the Holy Scriptures. And so, if you wanted to do an in-depth study about this, in, in our related Bible School World Impact Bible Institute, we have uh, extensive studies on the topics of hermeneutics. In fact, we have a whole course just on hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible. So I'm going to try in 60 minutes if possible, and if it's not possible, I will go over a little bit to the next lesson as well, to talk about how to understand the Bible, because let's not, let's not make any bones about it. It is not just so easy. You know, the Bible says a lot of things. We cannot just simplistically say, well, whatever is in the Bible, that's for me today. I hope that's not your attitude because, for example, it says about King David when he was going to marry Saul's daughter that he killed 200 Philistines and brought their foreskin to his father-in-law, Saul, King Saul at the time, as a dowry. Well, please don't do that. So you, you can't just take any Bible story and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do what the, what, what the heroes of the Bible did. And, and so, and, and, and what things in the Bible are metaphorical, what things are symbolic, what things are literal, we're going to discuss this. But I want to give some uh, parameters of understanding for how to study the Bible. I can obviously, in a short, basic gospel theology course like this of 18 classes really cover this. But when we talk about who is God, we talk about theology, and, and after this we'll go into Christology for a few hours, and then pneumatology, um, which, which is the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So when we study this, we cannot just bypass an understanding of how do we know the Bible. And so let's start reading what the Bible says itself about knowing the Bible. And keep in mind that the word Bible itself does not appear in the Bible. So I'll read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 14 where it says, and you remember we touched on this when we talked about the old versus the new covenant, but I might have said at the time we're going to get back to it. And well, this is the time we're getting back to it now. It says, their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. So right here we have it very clearly that there can be some problems associated with reading the Old Testament. And then it says, because the veil is taken away in Christ. Think about what a veil is. It's something that blocks your view. A cloth, if you wish. Verse 15, even to this day when Moses is read, this is speaking of the five first books of the Bible now, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And so, in the discovery of Christ, this veil, this, this, 
blockage. You, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm sitting here not reading the Bible, and if I have a, a veil, I have a blockage, I can't see what it says. But when I remove the veil, then the words jump off the page to me. And so it, here it says clearly that some people, and, and it's even to this day, it says here, even to this day, um, some people have a hard time understanding the Old Testament. So let's le- look at another verse now, Acts 8. In the book of Acts chapter 8, you can turn there. I hope that you have your Bibles open because we are really studying. This is our textbook, every lesson, but very much so right now. Here it talks about the Ethiopian eunuch and who, uh, you remember Philip met him on the road and uh, it says there in Acts 8:29, the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? That's a very valid question. When you read the Bible, the scriptures, which I prefer to call them, do you understand what you are reading? Because the Bible is very clear. It is possible to read the Bible and not understand it, to miss the whole point. Let let me prove that by reading just one verse of John 5, 39, where it says, Jesus is now speaking to the religious leaders of his day. This is very, very key. He says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. And so, so it's possible to study the scriptures and think, and, and many do that, they think that in the scriptures they have eternal life. But Jesus says, you've got to come to me. I mean, I've seen preachers grab the Bible and says, you know, I heard a preacher say like this, you know, people say that they don't have God. He says, this is God to me. Look at this book, and he cradled the book. This is God. My friend, this is against the teaching of Jesus Christ. He says, you think that you have eternal life in the Bible, but he says, that's not the source of eternal life. Eternal life is in Jesus Christ. This is life eternal, that you may know God and the one God sent, namely Jesus the Christ. You, you know, as, as you know, I have had a lot of dealings with who I call my Muslim friends. And I always present Jesus the Christ or Isa al-Masih as, as uh, uh, the Arabic uh, references to Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. And uh, the, the holy book of the Muslims, uh, they revere the Quran as their holy scriptures, has 97 references to Isa al-Masih, Jesus Christ. But sometimes I have been asked to go into a debate with a Muslim scholar in front of an audience. And one of the questions that I was supposed to be debating is uh, the Bible or the Quran, which one uh, has eternal life, which one leads to eternal life. And uh, of course, my answer was, I can't debate that. And I said, I can just say from the Bible, the Bible is clear 
that eternal life is not in the Bible. So I can't be arguing for that eternal life is in the Bible when the Bible itself says it's not in the Bible. It says here you search the Scriptures because you think eternal life is in the Scriptures. But Jesus says, you won't come to me. And actually the Scriptures testify of me. So what, are, what is the Bible? What are the Scriptures? It's the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so you find Jesus time and again referencing this. For example, when Jesus met the uh, theological scholar by the name of Nicodemus, this is recorded in John chapter 3, and Jesus said to him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, I don't know what you're talking about. Can I, am I going to go back into my mother's womb to be born again? What are you talking about? And Jesus said, you're a teacher. You're a teacher of Israel. You're a teacher of the Scriptures. John 3.10, he says, and you don't know this? In other words, Jesus again makes it very clear. It's possible to be a Bible teacher, to be an esteemed theologian, and not understand what the Scriptures is all about, namely to reveal Jesus Christ. And uh, some of the teaching that I'm giving you in this module one, I have had, I remember one particular doctor of theology who had his doctorate from a, a theological university in the United States, another one from England, and another one from a famous uh, theological university in Germany. And he said to me after attending our pastor seminar, Peter, uh, you have shed light on scriptures that all my doctoral theses never brought me into. So, so I hope you're enjoying and staying with me because those little golden nuggets, they will come from time to time. So, so uh, who and what is God's Word? Here's something else. Let's, 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 let's look at Acts chapter 17. I think it's in your notes there. If you follow along, and this, this would just be a fast track to answer this question. If you look at Acts 17, verse 2, it talks about uh, Paul uh, coming to the Apostle Paul, coming to Thessalonica. Verse 2, Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Now, when it says that he reasons from the Scriptures, he's not talking about the book of Romans or the book of Galatians or, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's talking about the Old Testament, the Jewish Scriptures as we refer to them often. So he's teaching from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Now that phrase will even take on more meaning when we get into our lesson on Christology. And so here again, what is Paul doing? He is using the Scriptures because they testify of the Christ. And then it says here a little bit later on, I'm going to go down to verse um, 10, I think it is. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night, away from Thessalonica to Berea. When they arrived there, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Notice, pay attention here. It says, they received the Word, and then they searched the Scriptures. Now here I'm stepping into a territory to hear what I'm saying, because you probably never heard this before, or maybe have never heard this before. 
because I don't know a lot of preachers nowadays saying this, even though historically many did, that the Word and the Scriptures is not the same thing. There's a difference between the Word and the Scriptures. Let's, let's look at it again. Verse 11, they received the Word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So they, what's the Word? If the Word is not the Scriptures, of course we can say that the Scriptures are made up of words. But strictly speaking, when the Bible says they went out and preached the Word, it was not mere sentences and paragraphs that they, that they preached. They preached the person who is the Word. The Word in New Testament terminology is Jesus Christ Himself. And let, let me prove that. Just, just keep, if you wish, one finger over there in Acts 17, and then go to John 1. Go to John 1. In verse 1, these, these words, <laughs> they are so full of revelation, I have to almost read it slowly. But, but stay with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and so on and so forth. So in the beginning was the Word, and then it says in verse 13, it says, Now the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So it's very clear here that the Word is the person of Jesus Christ. So I, you do as you wish, but I'm saying in my preaching, I have evolved to this. I have developed my understanding of the Bible so that I often say to people, now I'm going to read to you from the Holy Scriptures, which testify of Jesus Christ. Uh, rather than saying, uh, let's open up the Word of God. Well, the Word of God, strictly speaking, is the person of Jesus Christ. And these scriptures, which are all given by God for study, for inspiration, for teaching, for reproving, for rebuking, for correcting, for strengthening us, uh, all the scriptures are given by the inspiration of God, but they testify of Him who is the Word of God. So, 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 so I put here, and you know, the Scriptures are our primary source to study theology and to know about God. But the Scriptures must be seen through Jesus Christ, who is the Word. In other words, when you, what, and I say, what are the practical implications of this? Well, the number one practical implication is this, that you can't just take any old Bible verse and say whatever you want about that verse and claim that you're preaching the Word. You have to reveal Jesus Christ from that Word. You can't just take the stories of David and Moses and Abraham and, and, and a host of these heroes of the Jewish Scriptures and preach life lessons, life principles, and say, well, David did so, and David did this, and we should try to do the same. No, you have to reveal Jesus Christ. In order for you to say, I'm preaching the Word from the Scriptures, you have to reveal Jesus Christ. And so it's seeing Jesus through the Scriptures, that He is there. He is the Creator. We'll get to that again in Christology. He, he, is, he is the Ark of Noah. He's the Ark of the Covenant. He, he is the, uh, 
He's the covering for the sins of Adam and Eve. And so Jesus is the Word. That's very key. Now, I've said enough there for you to ponder, but I'm moving very quickly. Three questions to ask when you read the Bible. This will change your life. If you haven't heard this before, it'll change your life. When you're reading the Bible, ask yourself three questions. Who is speaking? Who's speaking? Who is being spoken to? And what is the subject? These are, these are three basic questions, I suppose, for studying anything. Who is speaking? For example, in the Bible, sometimes the devil speaks. That's right. For example, in the book of Job and in other passages, you have the devil speaking. In Matthew chapter 4, I believe it is, the devil speaks. So when the devil says something, should we just readily say, well, that's good, let's preach that? <laughs> no, the Bible allows for the recording of words spoken from this personification of evil called the devil, uh, but not for our encouragement, just for our wisdom. Sometimes in the Bible, fools are speaking. For example, Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. In other words, this is a quotation from fools. Uh, One of the great examples of this to illustrate this point is in the book of Job, who is speaking is a primary question. Sometimes Job himself is speaking. Sometimes Job's three friends are speaking. You've heard of Job's three friends. Now, each one of those friends gives several speeches that last for several chapters in the book of Job. Now, at the end of the book, God says that what the three friends said is not true. So obviously, you must be careful when you quote from the chapters of Job's three friends, since later on we discover it's not true what they said. Job himself, you say, well, what about when when Job speaks in the book of Job? Well, even Job in the last chapter of the book will admit, Lord, I didn't really know you. I'd heard hearsay. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but he says, now I see you and I repent. What is he repenting of? Of things he had said in the book of Job. So you have to discern when you, when you who's speaking. Uh, Job's wife speaks in the book of Job. But I don't think her words are very encouraging or strengthening. Sometimes unbelievers speak in the Bible. Sometimes Poets speak, preachers, prophets. Sometimes words are accredited to God uh, and sometimes not. And so who is speaking? Always ask yourself that question. Number two, who is being spoken to? Sometimes Jesus is addressing the people of Israel who were living under the law. And what he says is not necessarily applicable to us because we're living under a new covenant. Sometimes Paul says, he even says it, I speak to you who are under the law. I'm speaking to you who are under the law. So then if you're under the law of Moses, you should pay attention. Who's being spoken to? Sometimes, you know, it says, to use a little bit of a humorous example here, the Bible says certain things, husbands, do such and such. Then it says, wives do such and such. You know, I've noticed that when the Bible says husbands do such and such, 
the wife seems to remember those verses. And when it says wives do such and such, it seems some husbands remember those verses. But you know, when the Bible says husbands, it means husbands, you pay special attention. Here's a verse for you, etc. So always think who's being spoken to. And then what is the subject? For example, one time, Jesus speaks to Simon Peter about his death, how he would die. Well, you can't necessarily just take that for your own death and say, I'm going to die. Well, you, can't just, you can't just take somebody else's prophetic, encouraging, or, or enlightening word and say, well, I take that. I'll, I'll, that'll be my word. Well, so, so what is the subject? Sometimes it's speaking again to the people of Israel who are under the law. And so there are many things I don't have time to go into them all. But for example, uh, it, it says in one place that, you know, narrow is the way and straight is the gateway that leads to life and few there be that find it. It says, it says both in Matthew and in Luke that there's going to be few who find the way of salvation. Few. Is that what we should be telling people? There's only a few who are going to be saved? Because then it says in, in, in John, whosoever believes... And Revelation, the book of Revelation says, there's a crowd that no man can number. So which one is it? Is it a few or is it a, a, a crowd that no man can number? Well, I've done a whole hour of Bible study going through those verses, but just to get to the, you know, cut to the chase, when Jesus is saying only a few, he's talking about the people right in front of them, that most of them will be entrenched in their legalistic tradition, and they will not open to the way of salvation through grace, through Jesus Christ. But our message is not, keep trying pressing into God's kingdom, but only a few of you are going to make it. Our message is, whosoever will, let him come. So we have to discern that. Who is, what's the subject, who's being spoken to? Now let's apply these three questions to some scripture verses here. Let's go to John 21, and I think this is referring here to to Simon Peter's death. It says in John 21, verse 18, Jesus is saying to Simon Peter, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hand, another one will gird you, and you will carry you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. Now, see, some people take this verse, and this, this part here, and, 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 you know, you'll go someplace where you don't want to go. So some people have interpreted that to mean, whatever I don't want to do, that must be God's will. Because here in, in John 21, 18, he says, you know, that, that, that you will stretch out your hand, another one will carry you where you don't wish to go. So people have sometimes said, you know, whatever I don't wish, it must be God's will because I'm so full of fleshly, self-centered thinking that I'm resisting God's word. My friend, nothing could be further from the truth. We can take Philippians 2.12, that God works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. So you can't overinterpret this verse into your personal life. This is God's Word to Simon Peter. Obviously, he was going to face the death of a martyr, and he didn't want to die. He wanted to continue to live, to, to preach the gospel, and, and, and to reach people, and to live a life honoring God. And, and so, but he said, that's how it's going to happen. It's going to end that way. That's how your death is going to happen. So you can't overinterpret and claim that for yourself, and because then you get into all kinds of problems. Let me give you another verse that I've heard people use here. This is a uh, to be misguided, Hebrews 11, verse 8. It says about Abraham, uh, 
By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, he went out not knowing where he was going. I've heard people come to say to me, I just quit my job. I said, do you have another one? No, no. Well, how are you going to pay the rent? Oh, oh, I don't know. I just got this word that Abraham went out and he didn't know where he was going. <laughs> no, don't steal Abraham's word. <laughs> that was God's word to, to Abraham to go out because Abraham was going to be used of God to, to, to launch a new nation and, and in fact several nations and then to become an example to us who would believe in, in, in Jesus Christ. But you can't take that to make foolish decisions and say, well, I got a scripture verse here for it. I got the word. I got a chapter and verse that says, you know, just it doesn't matter if you don't know where you're going, just just because that could just cause you to quit your job, for example, and just unwisely get into something that's going to cause you all kinds of heartache and pain. And, 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 and then you're going to say, somebody pray for me. No, we, we can't do, they're speaking to Abraham. Now, can we learn from it? Can we learn from what Jesus said to Simon Peter? Of course. We learn to understand that there can be unique situations in our life when we don't know where we are going. And, 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 and something happened that it can be like, that, but that's not a general modus operandus. Let me read another verse here. Look at, look at Matthew. I don't know if this is in your notes, but I'll go to Matthew 10 first. I think Matthew 15 is in your notes. Maybe both of them are. I can't remember right now, but Matthew 10, verse 5. Some people say, well, you know, anything in the Bible is for us today. And then I say, well, what, what about when it says in the Old Testament you should stone your rebellious children and you can't eat shrimp or whatever? So, well, well but then they say, everything that's in red Whatever Jesus said, that's for us today. Hold it, hold it right there. Matthew 10 and verse 5, for example. This is in the red. This is in the red. Verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, that's in the red. Is that verse for us today? Well, then we should close down every church, every church that exists outside of Judea and Galilee. <laughs> we can't do that. Well, if everything in the red, everything that is a direct quote from Jesus is for us, then don't go to any Gentiles. And Gentiles is the whole world other than the Jewish people. Don't go, don't go out and preach the gospel to any, just stay right there. So, so we say, well, what about all the verses that says go into all the world? Exactly, exactly. So Jesus here is not speaking to us today. He's speaking to the 12 disciples at that limited time. Later on, after just three years' time, those same 12 disciples would receive a new commission to go into all the world. But at this limited time, they were only going to the house of Israel. So again, what is the subject? Who is speaking? In this case, it's Jesus. So it's in the red. In, in some Bibles, you know, the red, they, they put Jesus' words in red. I don't know why they do that, because, you know, the, uh, anyhow, it's some, supposed to be more holy or something. But I'm saying that we don't apply that. We don't apply that today, because we go into all the world. 
Now let's look at Matthew 15. Well, we are in Matthew, which is very much speaking to the Jewish people. Here, here Jesus says, this is a woman that comes to Jesus and her daughter is vexed with a demon, it says. And, and she says, son of David, my daughter is severely demon possessed. And he says, he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And, and then he goes on to say, she said, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said to her, woman, great is your faith. Be it to you as you desired. And her daughter was healed. I mean, should we do that when somebody in need comes to you? Should you compare them with a dog? Is this scripture applicable to us? Or should you not answer people a word? No. What, what's going on here? Why is this story here? Because Jesus says, I'm only for this limited time, for these three years, I'm sent to the house of Israel. So even though those words are in red, this is a direct quote from Jesus, it's not for us today. Jesus will later on say, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Go and teach all nations, make disciples of all nations. And so here again, this is not how we treat people. Now in the end, the woman gets, the daughter gets healed. And that's wonderful because by faith, all things are possible. It always has been like that. I'm merely saying we cannot just take scripture verses out of their context, not understanding who is being spoken to. So, so what is our message? Well, our message in a situation like the story in Mark, uh, in, in Matthew 15 would be Romans 10. Let me, let me read Romans 10. I don't know if it's in your notes. I hope it is. Otherwise put it in your notes. Romans 10, 12. Here it is. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. That, that is our answer. Our answer today is not saying I'm sent to a limited group. I'm sent to a, no, that, our, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Greek, whatever you are, God's mercy and grace is rich to everyone. That's our story. That's what we preach. And so merely to say, if you take the principle of what I'm illustrating here, you will see okay, I can't just take the Bible and just grab a verse here and a grab a verse there and say that. That's, that's for not. No, I got to say, who's talking? Who is he talking to? When Jesus is speaking into that three-year period when he was focusing on the people of Israel, we can't take everything there and apply it to every other period. We have to, we have to rightly divide the scriptures. You know, people abuse this. I, I had a, a lady come to me one time and said, Pastor Peter, I don't have any food in my house. Help me. I said, well, what happened? What's wrong? She said, oh, this man who claims to be a prophet, he came a few months ago with his family and said he wanted to live in my house and he's eating all my food. He's, I don't have anything left. I said, well, why would you let that? Because he said, he said that just Elisha the prophet it was taken in by a widow in the book of, of Second Kings. And so he's saying he was like Elisha and I'm the widow who's supposed to take him in. You, you can't go and mooch off of people and live in their homes and eat their food. Uh, taking a story about Elisha and a widow, that, that's misappropriating the Bible. And so how are we to understand the Bible? Number one, 
Jesus Christ himself opens our understanding of the scripture. Remember 2 Corinthians 3:16. We read it here at the beginning of this lesson. The veil is removed in Christ. When we discover Christ, that veil is gone. We begin to see the Bible in its true light. And so to, to really this this is going to be now so important. Luke 24. For those of you who want to study the scriptures and see Jesus in the scriptures, Jesus himself is the one who opens up our understanding. Luke 24. And uh, you remember he's talking here to the disciples that we know of on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus was a little village about 11 kilometers from Jerusalem. And these disciples, after Jesus Christ had been crucified, they were walking and they were very discouraged because they obviously had been followers of Jesus Christ. They had known Jesus Christ and now he had been crucified. So they had had the idea that Jesus would maybe come in and usher in a a kingdom that would defeat the Roman oppressors uh, that had so dominated the life of the Jewish people. And so they were discouraged. And so this stranger comes along with them and they don't know who he is. They don't know it's Jesus Christ because Jesus had been risen. They didn't know it. And so then Jesus said to them, and I'm not going to go into it because remember, this is the basic teaching. I'm just cutting to the chase all the time. Verse 25, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory. In other words, you're saying, don't, don't, isn't this what the Christ was supposed to do? Isn't this the Christ story? Don't you understand what the prophets have spoken about? Don't you understand the prophets spoke about the Christ? Why are you so discouraged? And then he says, verse 25, 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And so what is Jesus saying? He says, all the prophets and Moses talk about Jesus. Isn't that interesting? So here Jesus tells us when you read the Jewish scriptures, the first 39 books of the Bible, you should be looking for Jesus Christ in them. Well, you say, well, I read the whole Bible. Maybe you have a Bible reading program and you went through the whole Bible from from beginning to the end. And maybe you had a a year plan to do this. Some people do it like that. And you say, I never even saw the name Jesus in the first 39 books. Exactly. So this is an illuminating nugget of revelation here that Jesus says that those first 39 books are about him. You say, well, I thought it was about Moses and all the prophets and Isaiah and and Habakkuk and, and Elijah. Well, you were mistaken. You've been studying all these heroes and thinking that you are such a spiritual person because you know all about Abraham and he went here and the people of Israel went there and, and the Hebrew meaning of this word is that and the Hebrew meaning of this place or the meaning of this place in Hebrew is this or that. You think you have all this knowledge and yet you missed the whole point of those scriptures, which is Jesus Christ according to Jesus Christ. Then later on, and Jesus meets with the disciples. Same chapter, I'm in Luke 24 still. 
And there it, it says to, to, to the rest of the disciples, they were very troubled and they were worried and they were fearful. They probably thought they were next to be crucified. And then Jesus appears to them resurrected and he said to them, verse 20, 44, these are the words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send you the promise of my father, etc. So again, he goes to the same vein. It was about the Christ who must suffer and die and rise again, that a repentance, which is metanoia, change of mind, and the removal of sin would be proclaimed to all nations. So he opened their understanding of the scriptures. My friend, if you, you're going to be in gospel ministry, this whole gospel institute is about releasing people just like you into ministry. And so I don't want you to get bogged down like many preachers are. They're bogged down in the Old Testament, trying to teach from the Old Testament stories. And as my dear beloved and departed now friend, Dr. T.L. Osborne said to me one time in a personal conversation, he said, Peter, I sit and I watch Christian television and I hear preachers preach for half an hour and they never mention Jesus Christ once until they get to the closing prayer when they say, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tune into some Christian television and I noticed the same thing. And if Jesus Christ was ever mentioned, it was more as an example. He washed the disciples' feet and he did some nice things, but it was never any, hardly ever, I shouldn't say never, there are obviously exceptions to this, but, but very dominant was that Jesus Christ and his redemptive work was not very much in focus and sometimes not referred to at all, but rather there were life lessons taught from the Old Testament and the stories of the heroes there. But Jesus Christ never came out in the context of it. And so this will open up our understanding of the scriptures. And now suddenly it becomes exciting when we are reading the Old Testament. We read in the books of Moses. We're not studying just about red heifers and the tabernacle here and Abraham went here and he went here and he did this. And we have Elijah and Elisha did that. No, no. It's a treasure hunt to discover Jesus Christ in the Holy Scripture. Jesus is showing us here, this is the key. The veil is removed. Paul prayed for this. He prayed for, for our understanding, our spiritual eyes to be open that we could see. He, he said, let the veil be removed. So we see Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. Now, you, you follow along in your notes, is there Paul the Apostle opens our understanding of the Bible. Paul, he's got such a bad rap by some. The Apostle Paul, people say, well, you know, Paul, he changes the words of Jesus. No, 
Paul says whatever words he spoke, he received it from Jesus. There's no contradiction between Paul and Jesus because Paul received his words from Jesus Christ by revelation. He talks a lot about the Christ, the risen Christ, and how he received revelation from Christ. But I want to connect Jesus and Paul here with you. This is going to be very key. Look at John chapter 16 and verse 12. Stay with me. We're about 15 minutes away from the break coming up here. But once we see this, Bible study becomes simple. This is a crash course I'm giving you in hermeneutics. And and you'll be able to read the Bible. You'll come up with all kinds of teachings and sermons. But this, this context of these rules for Bible study, who is speaking? Who's being spoken to? What's the subject? Ask those questions. And, and things will fall into place. So John 16, 12. This is spoken maybe just a few days before Jesus' crucifixion. He's coming nearing the end of his three-year uh, teaching tenure with his disciples. And I will get back to this later on in this module, but not today. Verse 12, John 16, 12. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he says in verse 3, he will guide you. But think about that, verse 12. So here are Jesus' disciples who have been with him for three years. And it's about to be wrapped up. It's like you've gone through a three-year Bible college, and now the graduation is nearing. And imagine your teacher saying, There are many things we wanted to teach you in this Bible college, but there not not just a few, many things we want to teach you, but you can't bear them. What would you say as a student in the class? You would say, no, no, give it to me. (laughs) I can handle it. I can bear it. No, no, why are you holding back, teacher? We could say, Jesus, why are you holding back? You're teaching so many things in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John recorded the teachings of Jesus, but Jesus is saying himself, I held back. I held back some things, not just, not just a few things, but many things. There were many things that Jesus said, I, I have to say to you, but you can't bear them now. So we can say this, that even when Jesus was finishing his earthly teaching ministry, the work was done. When he rose from the dead, his work was done, but his word was not yet done. There was more word and insight and understanding yet to come. Even though the work of redemption, when Jesus went to the cross, he defeated principalities and powers. He went down to hell and declared victory over evil principalities and and against the devil. And then he rose again. And and because he lives, we shall live also. So the work of redemption was done. And let me continue that and say he went up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father and poured out the Holy Spirit. And then we were really in the the new covenant, as I taught a few lessons ago. But uh, my point here is there was more word to come. They still didn't understand everything that, that... Jesus had done for them. So keep one finger now in John 16 
and then turn the other hand, with the other hand, go over to the book of Colossians. Ooh, the book of Colossians. I hope you get my whole course that we have available through World Impact Bible Institute, a whole course on the little book of Colossians. Colossians was just a small little town. You would barely have noticed it. It was just kind of a drive-by town. Uh, and, and Paul never himself personally visited Colossae, but he wrote a powerful letter to the Colossians. And so go to Colossians 1, where he says, and I'm going to start in verse 25. And he says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me, he says, for you. To do what? To fulfill the Word of God. Look at that. To fulfill the Word of God. So, so keep, keep, I'm flipping back and forth. Maybe you can zoom out a little bit so they can see me flipping the Bible there. So in John 16, 12, it says, I still have many things to say, but you can't bear them yet. There are many things in John, in John 16, 12. Many, many words, many things. You can't bear them. Then we flip over and to verse Colossians 1, 25, Paul says, I have been receiving an assignment to fulfill the Word of God. So here, there were still words missing. Many, many things yet to be said. But over here, Paul says, now I have been sent with this assignment to fulfill the Word of God. Now, zoom in again. Okay, thank you there. And then, then, then verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed. Now, now, at that time, through Paul, who has given this task to fulfill the Word of God, the mystery has been revealed. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. That means among all people. It's not limited to any group. It's not any tribal thing. It's not tribalistically among the Jews only. This is among the Gentiles. What is the mystery? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so there are more than 40 places where Paul expresses similar sentiments. He says, I have received a commission. I have received uh, th this, this word. God has given this, he said here, to me. To me has been given this assignment. He doesn't even say to us. He could have been more uh, open and says to all of us apostles, but he's really speaking of himself. And you know, in the context, when Paul describes in Galatians, his interaction with the other apostles, he talks about that he, the apostle Paul, went to Jerusalem to share the revelation of Christ that he had received. So Paul was a key even for the other disciples. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just go against anything that you would try to guess yourself, that the 12 disciples who had seen Jesus in person, and we believe Matthias being the 12th had also seen Jesus in person. Those 12 had a front row, you know, to three years of the teaching of Jesus. And yet there is another one, a 13th person, the apostle Paul, who gives those first 12 a revelation of Christ. I think that's powerful on many levels. One level is this, that I think we would have lifted those 12 up on two of a high of a pedestal. We said, well, they knew, they had understanding. But Paul shows us 
there is a revelation, there is a communication with the Christ that is available to every one of us. That's why he say, as I follow Christ, you follow me. Paul is saying, I wasn't there. To the best of our knowledge, some of Paul's associates, some of the people that he knew and and some of the people who were against Jesus Christ, they were probably Paul's friends. He was called Saul at that time, Saul of Tarsus. But there's no record that, that Saul of Tarsus or the Apostle Paul, as we know him, had any personal interaction with Jesus Christ during those 33 and a half years of Jesus being here on earth. So I think it's just astoundingly marvelous that Paul then, according to the scriptural record, he receives this full revelation of who the Christ is, and he goes to Jerusalem, and he shares with the other apostles. You can read this in Galatians. And it says when he finished sharing with them, they had nothing to add. So the other 12 who had been with Jesus in person had nothing to add to Paul. Not one of them raised their hand and said, excuse me, Paul, you forgot something here. Oh, you missed something. No. In Galatians, the record is clear that even the great Simon Peter and Barnabas, who had been uh, Paul's mentor, they got away from the revelation of Christ and his finished work, and Paul was used by God to correct them, to bring them back to the way of God's grace and the gospel of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And so uh, let me read one other verse where you have out of these maybe 40 or more where Paul makes this astounding statement of his unique place, uh, Titus. And let's go to little, little brother Titus here. Uh, you know, it's one of those small books, but it's, it's, a, it's a mighty book, Titus 1. He says, Paul a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me, he says. Here it goes again. He keeps saying, to me. I was given this. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, you can see the insight that with which I'm writing. God has given me this revelation. So Paul is very important. If you want to understand God, learn to read Paul's epistles. I'm amazed how many Christians don't read Paul. They read Psalms. They read Proverbs. They read a proverb a day. They read Psalms. They, they read all. They don't read Paul. You, you, you cannot know who God revealed through Christ is without the Apostle Paul. He's like, you know, in mathematics, let me use this illustration. When you, when you start studying addition and subtraction and multiplication, you're giving different questions, equations, uh, if you study math, and you're supposed to come up with the answer. Now, once you advance in mathematics, you come to a, maybe um, the last few years of high school, depending on what your selection of topics are, certainly in college and university, you're studying algebra, you're studying other forms of mathematics, and you get an answer sheet. So you know what the answer is. You can look at the answer sheet in the back of the book and you say, well, maybe the equation is x times 3 minus y times 5 equals, and so you, you know that it equals whatever the number is, let's just say 5. So you know what the answer is. The answer is 5. What you have to figure out is what is x and what is y. 
but you know the answer is going to be five. So whatever you figure out about X and Y, it better be, and become five. Because it doesn't become five, you got the wrong, you figured it out wrongly. Paul is the answer sheet. And he says to us, look at this. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. The things you read about Abraham marrying Sarah and having another relationship with Hagar and and Isaac and Ishmael being born. That's not just a story of a seemingly dysfunctional family. That is a revelation of the Christ. That is a revelation of the gospel of God's grace. You go, ah, oh, I see. I thought it was just an interesting story about a family that had a rather messed up situation, you know. And if you, you can read this in in Genesis chapter 21. But Paul in Galatians chapter 4 begins to explain, this is a picture of Jesus. You go, uh-huh. So the answer is Jesus Christ and His grace. I better go back and read what the X and Y and Z stand for. Same thing he talks about the law, that it was our, our instructor, our teacher, our guardian. Uh-huh, you say, I didn't I didn't realize that, that when I read, you know, Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all the law, I didn't realize that that was our guardian until Christ would come. Oh, now I see. So Jesus Christ is the answer sheet. His covenant of grace for all of humanity. That's the answer. Well, I better go back and understand. So now I got to figure out what is X, what is Y, what is Z? What does it stand for? So these things take on new meaning. Paul helps us with that. And and, and so he is the scorecard, if you wish. Maybe the answer sheet is a better illustration. This is the conclusion you're supposed to reach. So some people don't reach that. They come up with all kinds of strange rules. I hear people come up with the strangest ideas. They talk about, I heard somebody recently who talked about that if you were moving into a home, you're going to build a home, you had to take the, the, the soil and you had to mix it with oil and you had to pray over it and you had to do an offering and sacrifice something. <laughs> They're taking some story in the Old Testament Jewish writings and applying it to today as if Christ had never come. What's their problem? They still have a veil over their face. They don't see Christ. But when we discover how awesome and big Christ is, this is why I can't wait to get into Christology. It'll come up very soon. You will, you, you will say, oh, I see. This is the Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. And so now, now you're becoming like one of the early apostles. You see, the reason Remember, I said this before, the reason the Jewish scriptures were included in the Christian Bible was not because of stories like about how David got his dowry by killing Philistines. It was about that in so many stories, you have nuggets about Christ. In the prophecies, you have enlightenment about the Christ. And so the Jewish scriptures were there for a Christological purpose. And Paul is the key purpose person to show us that. Well, I I, I didn't get as far as I thought. And so, you know what? It's going to be lesson nine and 10 because it's so important. And I think we're learning a lot. So uh, we'll take a break right there.